Norwich City know all about just how brutal the Premier League can be and they got another reminder on the opening day of the season as they were beaten 3-0 by Liverpool at Carroll Road. Welcome to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast in association with Future Radio 107.8 FM. Dave Freezer here alongside Paddy Davitt and Connor Southwell to have a post-match debrief of a yeah chastening opening day of the season. Probably not especially surprising, but we're not going to get too low about it. We all know there's a great deal of context behind this, and I think there are a fair amount of positives to get stuck into as well. But just in the immediate aftermath of the game, Pad, there is inevitably a, a disappointment about what happened in the end, and, and probably that there was a, a decent amount of misfortune in, in the opening two goals as well. Yeah, I think you sum it up well. I mean, an occasion that started in stirring fashion with the supporters backing and in, in those numbers and the flags and the flamethrowing, the pyrotechnics, it was... Well, Daniel himself, Daniel Fargas just said in his post-match, you know, he felt quite small, you know, to be to be a part of that and such a special occasion for so many reasons. But and that for me set the tone for the first well maybe hour or so um, in terms of Norwich's approach. They were fearless, they were brave, they were willing to put it up to Liverpool to to be brutally honest. And Barra, in the end, a rather fortuitous first goal there wasn't a lot to separate the two sides but yeah I think after after the break again we'll get into the second and third goals in more depth um, but once those went in you, you could see that it, you know there was a gulf there and um, you know Norwich had a bit of a flurry towards the end and you could you could arguably say they deserved a consolation strike but I think in the end Daniel said it himself Liverpool deserved the win but in the context of everything we've talked about liberally recently about this disrupted pre-season, the fact that new signings only came in in a, in, in a matter of days and yet they're thrust into the fray this evening. You know, Sargent came on, Zolis was on the bench, Rosita, who's been one of the COVID-affected players, he came back in and started tonight. For all those reasons, and I think you do have to put those on the table because it, they, they are mitigation in terms of maybe why they ran out of steam a little bit in the second half. But um, overall, I mean, Dan, I keep referring to Daniel, but you know, he's the man who matters in all of this. He said, quote, it's ridiculous to say, but after that game, he feels even more confident that they will be competitive in the Premier League and that they can achieve what they want to. And I, th- I think that probably sums it up for me. Yeah, you look at a 3-0 and the ball statistics tell you that they were not good enough in both boxes. But for all those reasons already stated, I think they will extract more in terms of confidence from that moving forward. But... Sadly, moving forward is a collision with Manchester City, so it's not going to get it's not going to get any easier anytime soon. Can we just forget about that one for now? <laughs> let's do it. Uh, well, let's just park the game for for a minute and and just savor those, I suppose, ten fifteen minutes really before kickoff. That you know we've talked about for the last eighteen months. Basically, we've been looking forward to that moment, that first on the ball, City, that first roar when the players came out, and it was special and. You know, we were seeing social media was a little bit full with queues outside the ground, weren't there? So we were a little bit worried at first. My dad even rang me to to, to say, you know, is the game delayed? There's loads of us outside the south stand. We're not going to get in. They managed to sort of get that moving, didn't they? And it seemed like the south stand was was pretty full in the end, and just over twenty seven thousand crowd. But I don't mind saying there was a there was a tear in the eye, and the the bottom lip quivered a little bit as I just filmed it and, and savoured it because we've just waited so long for that moment. And I'm sure there were tears in the stand, 
it it was just it was an epic moment, wasn't it, Connor? It will it will live with me forever. Yeah, I'm glad neither of you guys spoke to me because I think I probably I probably would have gone to be honest. <laughs> yes, so I, glad, I could just sort of bite my lip and get on with it, thankfully. And then the game started, so that was the focus. But yeah, it was it was lump in the throat stuff, wasn't it? It was um, really good to see, and, and, and like you say, a moment that well, really, twenty seven thousand people have have been dreaming of for for probably eighteen months, and that set the tone for me. The intensity in the, in the first twenty minutes were was was. Well, incredible, really. It was it was a really um, high intensity game that that, that we saw, um, and that was kind of kickstarted by the fans. I, I mean, I arrived at Carrow Road just after bus three, and and the sheer amount of people around the ground. I mean, the turnstiles weren't even open until four. Um, it just kind of captured it for me. The the enthusiasm that people had to return. There were smiles on faces, and in many ways, even though a lot of this podcast will go on and, and sort of dissect the game and analyse the game it wasn't really about the football on the pitch I think it was it was more about those people getting back to Carrow seeing people that they hadn't seen for 18 months um, and sharing as you say that, that precious moment that I think a lot of people will carry with them for a very long time and um, it was a it was a you were there moment wasn't it I think and, and there's very few of those in, in probably um, sort of a, a history of being a, a football fan, and it was it was really good just to to witness it. To be honest, the, the noise was was incredible. Um, for as I said, not not just the the first twenty minutes of the game, but but probably for the ten fifteen minutes before the kickoff. And uh, you know, as Daniel, I think Daniel summed it up really nicely actually in terms of probably humbled the players, probably humbled everyone in, in that stadium. To be honest, and yeah, what, what a moment! Certainly not going to be one I forget for a hurry. It was. It was lovely. It really was. It was everything we'd hoped it would be, really. It was loud. It was emotional. It was passionate. And it just brought back what we've missed so much in those 18 months. And I'm sure you're right there with me, Pad, in hoping that we never, ever, ever have to watch another Norwich City game behind closed doors. Uh, yeah, do you know what? And, and compounding that... Um... We might get too technical. We're obviously in the city stand, but we're out the back and we're outside. That's where the press areas are. But in that infernal project restart period, which was the the, the first attempt after the, the pandemic to to come back and play some games, which was the back end of the previous Premier League season, we were in. If you know your city stand sort of architecture, the, the glass screen behind, um, which sort of runs either side of the halfway line bearing in mind back then we were talking June, July, August and it was pretty hot and the windows were not open yeah. but at the end of tonight's game I actually just needed to use uh, the gentleman's and and I had to go to that one down in. so I actually had to go back into a place I never want to go ever again <laughs> because it does evoke memories of as you rightly say Dave watching football but not football as we know it you know just a sterile empty skeletal type of football that uh, yeah that that is not an experience. If tonight was an experience, you will remember that. Sadly, is an experience I will remember as well for, yeah. for all the wrong reasons. And uh, yeah, no, we'd never want to get back to that again. And we we hope and pray that that is not a scenario that any of us have to contemplate anytime soon. It was great to hear the fans running through songs and stuff. And uh, hopefully there'll be some new ones propping up because there was quite a funny moment, wasn't there, when the Barkley tried to sing Falcons on a Horse and then it got to Lighten Up Wendy and Rhodes. Oh, hang on. So they're going to have to think up some new players, aren't they? So what what can we do? Gilmore. Rashid's a Campwell and Cruel. I think that works. Yeah, there's a few. There's, a, there's got to be a few options yeah. in the squad, but yeah, the, the, the fans sort of need to get their heads together really and work that one out, don't they? But yeah, you know, and, and that makes you realise as well that in this weird period we've been through, that players like Ollie Skip, you know, didn't didn't ever get a, a song or a chant, and 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 weirdly, you know, I was looking at some stuff from Christos Jolis after he'd signed that 
he, he his whole career, his whole senior career has been behind closed doors at Pauk because he came in after the the suspension of the season in, in Greece. I mean, that's bizarre for him to have gone from from that to to what he witnessed today. Okay, he didn't get off the bench, but he must just be absolutely desperate to to get on. But um, anyway, that that is the the moments that we shall savor. And I, I guess it was nice that that was on TV as well for the people who couldn't be there today, who couldn't get a ticket or who were overseas. Of course, we have many listeners to the pod who are in America and Australia and, and all over the world that you will hopefully have felt like you're a bit of a part of that today. And we hope that our, our coverage will reflect that as well and, and not get too down in the dumps about a 3-0 win. But ultimately, we must come back round to the football, to the reality of the Premier League, which we all know far too well. Um... To start with, Daniel matching up to Jurgen Klopp's tactics, 4-3-3, wasn't it? And uh, the big decision, I suppose, was Grant Handy going straight in after zero pre-season. But he, he did pretty well, didn't he? Yeah, I, thought he was, I thought he was excellent. He kind of looked like, um, of, of that back line, probably one of the fittest there, which is a testament, <laughs> I think, to, to his professionalism. And he's had, what, 10 days um, out of out of the picture because of COVID. I, you know, if, if, if you were a neutral observer, I don't think you'd have known that Grant Handley had, had, had missed a portion of football and particularly when I think back to two years ago when he played at Anfield and he was um, carrying a slight knock and he obviously scored the own goal that night and, and I think he, he admitted after the game that his performance maybe wasn't where it wanted to be. That that was probably uh, uh, well, uh, well, it's probably a positive for him to, to come back and deliver that kind of performance and probably answer a, a few people as well who maybe questioned if, if he'd be good enough at this level because if that's his performance when he hasn't had any minutes, um, th- then surely it can only improve and... and, and you know, I think I think we we saw a little bit of it, um, kind of in in January before the the COVID uh, the COVID lockdown before, where some of his performances in the in the top flight were pretty good. So um, so yeah, he was good. Uh, I mean, it's it's incredibly difficult because ultimately we're talking about a three 0 loss and we're talking about attacking players like Salo, Mane, Firmino, who, who was on the bench, Diego Jota, um, Oxlade Chamberlain. There's so many you could you could throw into there that um, you know that's that's the Premier League, isn't it? And we use the word brutal. That sums it up. You, you can you can be really good for as Norwich were for for large portions of the game. I, f- I felt particularly first half, tired legs a little bit in, in the second. But it's in those moments, in those kind of two seconds, three seconds, where someone switches off, or you get a little bit of more misfortune, and and you know you, you kind of look at the newly promoted sides. And I watched Brentford on on Friday night. They were playing an Arsenal side without Aubameyang and Lacazette and. You know, it, it just makes you think if, if that's if that's Norwich, do, do Arsenal rock up and they and, and they don't have those two players? It, it kind of feeds into the luck element again. And then you look, watch Mo Salah's poor touch sort of dribble through to to Yotta. <laughs> so that's the difference, isn't it? But overall, I think Grant Hanley can be incredibly pleased and, and probably proud of his individual performance. But I think there'll be plenty that Norwich City can be pleased with as well. Yeah, I, I thought Liverpool were excellent. Really, I, my my feeling at half time was that if Norwich had been playing a lesser team, playing a Watford or or you know Southampton or something, and were playing like that with that intensity, I think they probably would have been leading the game at half time, uh, and they were probably unfortunate. Well, no, no, that's probably uh, going over the top to say that they were unfortunate to be behind because you think about the chances that Liverpool actually had in the first half, you know. Lise Malou clearing off the line, Krull tipping uh, the Yotta header over. The, there were a few chances in there, so they probably did deserve to have a, a 1 0 lead. But yeah, when they bring on Firmino and Fabinho on the hour, Brazil, Copper America winners, that shows the strength and depth that they've got that even Arsenal don't have at the moment. Liverpool, Man City, 
probably Man United and Chelsea. I think we probably have got a big four again at the moment, haven't we? And, and Arsenal and Tottenham and, and whoever else are, are, are a bit off that 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 level. So, um, but yeah, to come back round to sort of the starting lineup, pad that that um, the back five was basically what we expected, wasn't it? Um, so the midfield three was uh, Lisa Malou, Gilmore, and Rupp. What what did you make of of those three? I thought. Gilmore in particular probably struggled with the pressing and Cater seemed to just, just hunt him down most of the game Yeah I think there were some nice touches I, I mean he's a, he's a technically gifted footballer, there was a couple of with his back to goal and he, you know, the ball's played into him he's halfway in his own half and he's just the vision and awareness clipping them out to Max Aarons I remember, mm. so he's got that in his locker but yeah you're right if, if that was the three that he was going to persist with you would be very concerned because I don't think they, they will give enough protection illustrated by the second goal the way Mane ran off the back of Gilmore um, throughout the course of the season and I don't think they've got enough as a collective in terms of creativity going forward to link front to back so yeah that 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 would be but we know they're looking to bring in a centre mid we've got Kenny McLean to throw into the mix as well um, and maybe a little bit symptomatic of Norwich's overall performance I thought for in Norwich's better periods they, they looked decent and, and bright and there was potential there, but but you know it failed to materialise. And then when Liverpool got on top, then you know we, we saw less and less of Gilmore. And, and ultimately, Gilmore is in that side to try and get on the ball, try and control the tempo, try and give Norwich a degree of control. If he's not able to do that, then you know he's not going to offer too much. And, and conversely, Norwich aren't going to be in control of games. And and it did run away from him in that sort of mid second half period where Liverpool just moved through the gears a little bit, aided by some errors I think from Norwich individually for the goals but yeah I mean I would I would reserve judgment on the evidence of playing you know probably a title contender today and, and for all the reasons already stated about Norwich's disrupted uh, pre-season and, and likewise next week I don't think Man City would be coupled with Liverpool a benchmark but moving forward you know we'll have a better idea of if that's a mix that can work or a blend I have my reservations because I think Gilmore needs a bit more protection around him dare I say it, a defensive midfielder or two because that's not his game and uh, if he had that protection around him then you know we, we might start to see what Klopp said in the build up one of the best Scottish talents in the last 50 years yeah, I think I would have much rather had Lise Malou and Gilmore either side of an Ollie Skip. <laughs> but we, we're all in agreement that if they can get Ollie Skip back, then they do it, don't they? As I said last week, I think, on the pod, he's a £20 million player, so it's a pretty easy conversation. But whether it's Skip, and it probably isn't Skip, or someone else, just somebody with you know more in the Tete mould, with that defensive nous and the, the muscle and all these things we've spoken about in recent weeks, I, I feel like Gilmore would be better freed from that, that pressure, really. But... I don't think there are many teams in the Premier League even who press as much as Liverpool. Their their press I just thought was exceptional. They really knocked Norwich out of their stride a lot of times. I thought thought Lise Malou flitted in and out of the game, showed some good stuff. I want more from him in possession, really. Um, and I thought Rupp had a pretty good first half, actually. I thought he was probably the best of the three in the first half. And he was a bit of a ratter, wasn't he? He was really nipping in here and there and working hard. But maybe he just was running on empty in the second half. I, I expected McLean to come on for him. I thought that would have been a sensible early second half substitution because he just didn't look in the game for me really so like with the the whole thing I probably should have said this a bit earlier I think 
you know, ratings and things like that are to this game, they're all in the light of this disruptive preseason, aren't they? And I don't think any any of the Norwich players can be judged too harshly based on this game. And 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 it's probably got to be said that next week's going to be a similar case. Hopefully, but when we get to Leicester, then we can just start to be um, a bit more on the money with with ratings and and you, that context will be gone. And you you there's not really excuses around things at that point either. It's like right now we need to start seeing some proper tangible forward progress. Um, but the front three as well then, Connor. Um, Rashitza started on the left, Campwell on the right, which is a bit unusual for Todd, isn't it? He nearly scored the goal of the season in the first <laughs> half as well, didn't he, Todd? Um, and I think that what, Pukki as well should have passed to Rashitza, shouldn't he, instead of when he had that shot. There were promising signs amongst the three of them, but I don't think we saw a consistent 90-minute performance at all from the three of them. No, and I think sort of when I arrived at, at Carroll Road... This afternoon, I was kind of thinking, right, we, we need to see enough green shoots, I think, just to, for all the reasons you said about a disjointed pre-season. I mean, the difference is Nor- Norwich had a disjointed pre-season where they had to cancel two friendly games and Liverpool got special dispensation from the Austrian government to, to go on a training camp abroad. <laughs> yeah. So that, that shows you kind of the difference in preparation for this game. Um, and I, I really liked particularly early on, uh, some of Rashica's movement, some of his, the little combinations that, that they were working to that side. He, he looked a real threat when, once they got him sort of in behind the Liverpool defence. It was it was just then about that final ball, that final little bit of product. And, and, and that's probably where he's maybe, when, we, when Daniel speaks about the new additions, maybe not quite being tactically where where he wants them to be with, with Norwich. I mean, there are a few times where he's, he was putting a cross in, and, and you see Timmy Puki standing between Virgil Van Dijk and Joel Matip, um, mm-hmm. and it's it's a bit like that's <laughs> that's not quite the uh, the the kind of outball you would want in that situation. But yeah, he he did fade a little bit. I don't think that's surprising for all the sort of context that that we've put on this. But I would be very encouraged by that start, particularly given probably that he if he's done that against Alexander Arnold um, early on, he gave him a real scare. Um, defensively, I, I don't think he, Alexander Arnold is is exceptionally good. I, I don't think he's as good defensively as he is going forward. Um, some of his balls from from deep today, by the way, were ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but if he can cause him a threat, then there's no reason why he can't cause uh, fullbacks threat throughout the season, providing Norwich u- utilise him in the right way. And I, I think we saw glimpses of kind of what we spoke about of them trying to be strong in attacking transitions. And he was almost certainly sort of when, when you look at the opening opening half really he almost had a higher position than Puki at times and, and then Puki would drop deep into where you would probably expect that 10 to be he'd push on and, and then they'd try and work the space and get in behind the defence that way it's just I said that final out ball so um, that was that was encouraging I'd probably like to see pace on, on both sides I'm, I'm not sure I thought like, I thought Todd was okay today in moments like I said he scored an exceptional goal but I think if, if you're going to play like that you you probably need pace on on both sides, so that's an interesting one to watch going forward. If if Norwich persevere with this system, um, yeah, I, I I think there's enough green shoots there to be positive from it from an attacking sense. Yeah, it's, it's immensely difficult for Timu Puki, who I, f- I thought looked off the pace, to, to be honest, still, um, which is which is understandable given uh, again the the preseason, but. Um, it's it's going to be fascinating to watch because uh, they obviously didn't have enough goals last time in, in in the Premier League. It was a big burden on on Timu, and um, from the little glimpses that that we got today, I think you'd you'd be more optimistic that more players will score more goals this season than, than what we saw two years ago. So, as I said, green shoots. I, I think that's what we've got to, we've got to look for in the next few weeks. 
particularly that first half. You know, the half-time reception was good, wasn't it? They were applauded off the pitch. That was a very warm reception for the, for the players at that point. I think you know, Todd was uh, it was his pass that played Pookie in in that first half as well, wasn't it? The, I, in my mind, there's no doubt that Todd Cantwell is a very important player for Norwich. And I, I felt like today he got like when he got substituted, he got a really big reception, didn't he? And I don't know, maybe he's won over the battles. Maybe the fact that he hasn't gone to Villa or something like that, maybe that's just tipped the balance a little bit for you know sort of the haters to put it in his Instagram talk that they don't seem to be um, so prevalent at the moment maybe the appreciation is finally there that Todd Campbell is an important very important player to Norwich in a post-Emmy Buendia world and if he were to if someone were to turn up which I don't think they're going to with 40 million or something in this last couple of weeks of the window that would be a big big blow at this point so um, yeah I, I, I think that's a, that's a good thing um, and just sort of finally for the moment Pad, Josh Sargent came on uh, we got a, a bit of a look at him didn't we and He's he's a big lad, but did you think that because there were some bright moments? Do you think that was mainly because Liverpool had taken the foot off the gas a bit by that point? Yeah, I mean you'd have to factor that in. But by the same token, he he was direct and there was one excellent shot and it didn't mm. didn't miss the far post by a huge amount. Um, and I just like the intent that you know he was willing to get himself in those positions and and clearly keen to make an impression. Why wouldn't he be? You know, it was his first run out in a Norwich shirt and yep, cameo though it was and yet the game was already up. I think he's probably pushed him, him for, himself forward into Daniel's thoughts for Man City because ultimately you know Daniel was saying they had 14 shots on target or sorry 14 shots to correct myself but I, I can only really remember the, the Ben Gibson half-hearted lacking conviction stab from close range that Alisson had to deal with so that isn't good enough and if that continues then Daniel will have inevitably as he did two seasons ago and it didn't really work out because you know he took Timo out of the firing line tried Josip Dermic and we know how that ended up um, but a sergeant for example I think if he continues how he, start, how he started today in a, in a very albeit small cameo um, then you, you get to a point where yeah maybe maybe he will look to try him down the centre of the park because physically yeah I think that was a surprise you you made it point in during the game you know he's probably he looked at from our vantage as big as if not bigger than Ida who's a, a very strapping unit so you know physically he's got the capacity I think to mix it with with defenders even more refined defenders in the Premier League but but I liked some of the technical elements of his game as well so I think I think that was yeah that was that was a positive as well and um, you know ultimately what they need is to ease the burden on the goat and uh, and to do that you need others chipping in and um, you know we saw some signs that that could potentially happen but clearly you know there is a massive gulf between seeing signs and actual productivity and that's an area that I think will ultimately be one of the factors deciding on how this season pans out if they can carry a goal threat then they're always going to be within games yeah and it was used on the right as well and to carry on Connor's point really those long balls being pumped towards Pukki up against Van Dijk and Matip Sargent would have been a lot better at dealing with that and to be fair he did put himself about a bit as well when he came on didn't he so that'll be interesting how that develops um, Liverpool had 51% of possession and I think this probably tells the story of the game as you say Pad Norwich had 14 shots but only 3 on target Liverpool had 19 8 on target but they also had 11 corners to Norwich's 3 so um, as Daniel Fark said as I think most people have appreciated Liverpool deserved the win and they were very good let's pause just for a minute there and hear a bit from Ben Gibson who I spoke to pretty swiftly after the final whistle Ben well talk us through that then you, you said last week after Newcastle that you all knew it was going to be tough so this is exactly what you were talking about isn't it about sort of keeping calm and things yeah, and I, I think that was a huge step forward from last week, to be honest. Um, the score is the same, but I 
thought we, we win the game for large parts of the game. First goal, I think there's, a, there's an element of luck to it, to be honest. And look, I think we applied ourselves well. I think we showed what we're about, the way we want to play. Uh, vast improvement for last week. Um, I'm not making excuses, I'm not that kind of guy, but this team and squad haven't played together a lot. Um, and we, you know, we, we're still working on things, we're, we're bedding new players in bedding new things in um, and I think that was a huge step forward look the, the, the scoreline is the same which I'm not one of those who, who comes out after a, after a defeat and, and is happy to take that on the chin by any means that, that's not the person I am and that's not the team we are otherwise we wouldn't finish champions last year but we have to try and take the positives they're a world class team I think they, they were better than us in the fine margins in both boxes um, but look there's lots to take from it we don't go away from our principles we just do them better you were there well you were right next to it but did Salah mean that touch do you think the first goal no he hasn't meant it um, <laughs> as I said there's an element of luck to that we, we can react quicker better um, we've still got to deal with that better when it happens um, but look I, I'll be honest I'm quite proud of the boys tonight uh, a lot of teams uh, fresh out of the, the championship 3-0 down like that would crumble we stuck to our beliefs we stuck to our guns we kept doing it that's why we've got to this position let's not forget that Um and as I say, we've got to keep doing those things, but do them better. But there's a lot of positives. I know it doesn't seem it 3-0, but it really is. Welcome to the new normal. Hello, and welcome to this series of Unfinished with me, Charles Thompson. Welcome to Weird Norfolk. Welcome to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. From true crime to football, politics to folklore, for more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com forward slash channel forward slash Archant. Well, another positive we can throw at it is that Norwich will not finish the weekend bottom of the Premier League table thanks to, uh, I think it was four goals in 16 minutes that Leeds conceded in that big derby game at Old Trafford. They lost 5-1. <laughs> that was shortly after they'd equalised as well, I think. So, um, yeah, Leeds uh, will prop up the Premier League table uh, on Sunday morning. We're recording Saturday straight after the game. Obviously, there's some games on Sunday as well. Um, the other results, uh, Brighton 1-2-1 at Burnley. I bet that was a really um, aesthetically pleasing game to watch. Chelsea won 3-1 at 3 0 at home to Palace. Everton 3 Southampton 1. Leicester 1 Wolves 0. Watford 3 Villa 2. And that is combined, of course, with Brentford beating Arsenal 2 0 on Friday night. So it is a little bit disappointing, isn't it, Connor? I think everybody sort of had their eye on what a nice story that would be. All three newly promoted teams winning. Obviously, that would have been a bit of a a bit of a fairy tale. But um I don't think there's any need to panic because you, you know, look at two seasons ago. Norwich beat Manchester City. They were the reigning champions at the time. Three two, epic. Yeah, maybe that was Brentford's night. I I've predicted Brentford to finish bottom. I've predicted Watford and Palace to also go down as well. And you know, I still don't think I'm going to chuck those out of the window based on the opening day. No, I think I think Brentford will have. Um, well, I think if if they get an easier ride than they got from Arsenal on on Friday this season, then I think they'll they'll be in for a big shock. To be honest, um, I, I don't think that slightly. They, they've played a very poor Arsenal side I mean Watford again even though they, they raced it sort of 3-0 into the league were, were paid back by Aston Villa to, to an extent so no you, you can't read too much in, into the opening day of the season I think we're, we're probably in a unique um, spot in, in, in the Premier League in that it seems clubs either have a, 
a really horrible start to the season, as we're kind of talking about Norwich, or they have a really gentle one. I don't think there's really too many clubs who have kind of a, a little bit of well, a big team here and then uh, maybe a, a winnable fixture. It seems to be one or the other. Um, Norwich obviously fall in, in the tougher category for whatever reason, but what that will give them is probably a, a, an easier, well, easier in, in Premier League terms. Obviously, we, we, we're well aware uh, from, from Norwich City's record in the last decade in this league that, that it's certainly not easier. Um, but maybe a kinder run in towards Christmas and then probably again in the spring. So really, uh, and this is going to be the thing for the Norwich players because quite feasibly we, we could get four or five games in and, and Norwich might not have a point on the board. That's completely feasible. That doesn't mean that they're, they're doomed. Um, it just means that realistically that they're going to have to get points in, in that autumn period against teams that are, they're more likely to extract points from and that will probably define their season greater than the run we're seeing at the moment which to an extent are free hits I think we're maybe less so Leicester but certainly uh, maybe even Arsenal uh, on, on the evidence of Friday but you, you have to I think just be patient wait for the table to, to take shape I think there'll be people at, near the top of, of the Premier League in certainly the opening five games match days of the season that, that won't be there come match day 10 so I think it will take time for the league to take shape. I certainly wouldn't read too much in, into the opening into the opening day. Obviously, I, I would imagine everyone will be itching for that first Premier League win. But but then look at it two years ago. Norwich made a really good start to life in the Premier League and, and, and ran out of steam. So for me, it's it's just about the players taking that context and not getting too disheartened and maybe not um, losing confidence because they're being defeated by Liverpool and Manchester City, which I'd imagine 95% of, of their competitors will as well, um, if, if not if not more, uh, sort of a higher percentage. So, yeah, uh, it, it's going to be a tricky start. It's going to be, as Daniel Farker described, bumpy. It's probably going to get better before it gets worse. But if they can sort of get through to that international break relatively unscathed then that for me is is when this Premier League season really starts for them I think until then there's there's probably enough mitigation enough context to um, uh, as you said earlier in terms of ratings maybe maybe not take things look at things and, and analyse them too much because that disjointed pre- they're effectively two weeks behind everyone else aren't they in terms of fitness and whatnot. so yeah difficult to judge we'll, we'll get worse before it gets better but stick with it mm. I tell you the game that might be looming quite large now obviously Manchester City I think we're all basically right I'd be quite happy for Norwich to go there and park the bus and if they can find some way to grind out a horrible nil-nil draw I'd absolutely snap your hand off it right now Um, I, I can't see it happening I think Norwich will still be more about looking to put the pieces in place for the rest of the season and, and use it as a learning experience up against a top team who play in a similar style to them. I, I think that's more Daniel Farker's style, isn't it? But I'd be quite happy to see three at the back and and all that sort of thing just to um, try and grind something out. Because if you go toe-to-toe with Manchester City, I just I just can't see that this Norwich squad are in a place at the moment. Maybe, hopefully, later in the season, they'll be more in a place where they can take on those big teams with that bit more confidence, particularly if we we can see the first 45 minutes today um, become more of a 90-minute performance and, and you know they find more consistent seam of things. But yeah, the game that's looming larger, I think, for me, Pat, is the one directly after the Manchester City game, which is the Bournemouth Cup game, which we expect to be the Tuesday night, don't we? It's at Carrow Road, uh, second round of the League Cup. 
I dare say Bournemouth will probably make as many changes as, as Norwich will because their focus is, is purely on championship promotion, isn't it? So it might be a quite winnable game. Again, it might be quite a big crowd because everyone's going to be up for getting back to Carrow Road and stuff. But that's probably the night that you see Simicas get his first start. We could see some quite important clues and there could be some quite important performances that night which then shape the games ahead. Mm, definitely. Well, I mean, it precedes Leicester as well, which if, if it's gone as we, we fear it might go against Man City... Is, is an increasingly important game and obviously Leicester are a very very good side won again today and FA Cup winners Community Shield winners so Madison operating uh, pulling the strings from at least at this stage anyway but um, but if, if you, they could get the win and obviously it'd be the first win of the season and that bounces them into Leicester uh, with, with renewed self-belief I would think um, because it's it was obviously a bruising result today and, and it could be more of the same next week and worth pointing out as well as Norwich have experienced today with essentially the first full house in 18 months that will be Man City when Norwich pitch up because they're away the opening weekend they're at Tottenham um, so you can imagine all the pent up emotions that Norwich fans have experienced this weekend that will be the Man City fans that, so uh, a task that was hellishly difficult already is uh, I'm afraid going to be even tougher because of that facet because you can be sure Guardiola will want those players to put on a performance befitting the occasion um, but yeah no, I take your point yeah I'm not I mean not in the sense that it's about progress in the Carabao Cup per se but more more to to get that first win under the belt uh, albeit in a cup setting and, and that I think would then give them a platform to really build up for the rest of that week into Leicester which for all the reasons I've just stated about how good Leicester are you know I think that is a game Norwich if they can harness the better elements of what we saw today and add to it and obviously two or three more weeks fitness into their key players um, that's more than a winnable game for me um, you know Leicester have their flaws and their weaknesses and uh, I think Norwich if they get a positive result at the start of that week against Bournemouth um, then yeah that, that could be um that could be the start of better better times ahead in the Premier League, I think. Yeah, well, Norwich obviously did quite well against Leicester last time around, didn't they? Won one nil at home, drew nil, yeah. one one away. Sorry, wasn't yeah. it? Um, and they're better known as a counter-attacking team, aren't they, rather than a pressing team like like Liverpool? Which you know, when you look at some of the goals today, the third one, Max completely out of position. The first one, you knew this is nowhere near Alexander Arnold when he swings the ball in. So, yeah, a, a counter-attacking team. They're going to look to. Uh, get in behind Norwich's fullbacks, aren't they? But yeah, that that press won't won't be there. Well, I don't think for many games this season. Um, but I, I guess we should move things on to transfers because what Tuesday will be two weeks remaining, won't it? So eleven o'clock on Tuesday night will be two weeks left of the window, and I think everybody is in pretty much universal agreement that it's defensive midfielder, centre back, and fullback all needed. Where do you think? I think he keeps getting a bit forgotten about. Where, where do you think Jacob Sorensen fits into all that, Connor? Because I, I'm kind of leaning towards the fact that maybe he's the centre back. Maybe he, if unless you can find, okay, if you can get a good ten million pound centre back, Joe Worrell, Dale Fry, Paddy McNair, whoever, if that's a possible transfer, and that might not be because it might be fifteen million, and they can't afford a player that they think is better than what they've got, 
is Sorensen the fifth centre back? Because he doesn't look to me from what we've seen of him. Um, I've not seen enough evidence to see that he is an Alex Tete replacement or an Oli Skip replacement, and that he is really a defensive midfielder, which is the reputation that he arrived with. I don't know. Maybe I'm being too harsh on him. Maybe we'll see him play there against Bournemouth, and as I say, that could be one of those sort of green shoots that you, that you can then uh, attend, and he, he he comes into things. But yeah, how do you see the transfers as as we sit here today? Yeah, I think it's an interesting point you make on Sorens, and I would agree. I think every time I've seen him play in midfield, which you know is. is been limited hasn't it really because I think the majority of his football for, for Norwich has, has come as a makeshift left back but he looks he looks more like a box to box to me someone who's who's probably a bit more dynamic than just a, a shielder a protector and I'd like to just see them get someone who's I've said this before really big someone a real presence in there and I think what that would do as well if, if you've got that kind of option um sort of shield in the back four frees Gilmore up to go and be a bit busier uh, which which I think he can be I think he, he can be um, kind of like a terrier sort of midfielder someone who, who does get up and down gets stuck in and as Paddy mentioned then I think we may see the best of him in terms of his technical elements as well there are a few lovely um, sort of raking passes that he made and he, he broke the press a couple of times really nicely but as you mentioned uh, I thought Cater did a, a wonderful job on him to be honest and, and that made it difficult for for Norwich to, to play out in maybe the way that they would have liked um, and that as a result we, we probably didn't see as much of, of Pukki um, in, in terms of in possession than, than maybe what Norwich would have originally planned for so yeah I'd like to get them I'd like to see a bit more height a bit more strength now that, that we're kind of looking particularly if you're talking central midfield and, and centre back um, yeah Joe Wall is a, a really good shout and I think we've we've spoke about him before on, on various podcasts it's, as a player that they've been linked to for, for a long time uh, one clearly that they like so uh, yeah I think that some someone of that ilk would, would be a, a good option <laughs> And then yeah, where does Sorensen fit into that? I think it's it's a it's a good point. Um, it's it's increasingly difficult. I think to, I mean, we, we listed the options: Rupp, McLean, Leymalu, Gilmore. There's going to be another on top of that for midfield. That's going to become a very difficult department for him to emerge in. So yeah, you could be right. Maybe as as that third centre back, if they don't quite get one over the line, um, I think I think they probably will. So that that may leave him in a, in a position where it might be. Let's have a look in January, and if he needs to go and get some loan football, and get some loan football. But yeah, I, I think to be honest, they are a defensive midfielder and probably a centre back away from having not just a very good window, but also a, a team that really gives them a chance of staying up. Yeah, it seems pretty straightforward. I mean, it's not straightforward, of course, for Stuart Webber to actually get that done and and sign somebody who is good and and really bring something to the party. But um, you know, like the fullback, for instance, and and I think I think there is a lot of us being scarred by what happened two years ago. You know, that defensive injury crisis. I, I, I think. I think most people are on the same page that if Gibson and Hanley stay fit and they are that partnership in front of Krull, most people are pretty happy with that at this stage of things. But it just feels like attack is sorted, fair enough. That's still got a lot of work to do, obviously. You know, they've just had two blanks on the back of a 5-0 against basically Gillingham's reserves. Um, but the um, yeah, the back end still needs further options, further filling out. Um, and the we don't want to keep mentioning the guy, but why were Gibson and Hanley so secure and so good last season, albeit at the Championship, stepped down? Because they had a man called Ollie Skip protecting them superbly in, in front of them. And, uh, you know, he, he it was almost an art form to watch the way that he anticipated counters and put them out at source. And just, just his athletic ability in a sort of five, ten-yard sort of square circle, square in terms of <laughs> shutting down 
attacking players, um, just that athleticism. I think maybe you know when you see when you take him out of the side, you realise what a, what a quality player he, he is, um, and how how sorely they miss those type of attributes on the evidence of, albeit a small sample, but you know the last two or three pre-season games, and then obviously today. And uh, you mentioned him now. Who was the guy who did a job in Gilmore? Sedu Keita. Well, what is he? He's a very similar type of mould of midfielder. Every top team, you know, the main man at Chelsea, Kante. Every top team has an operator who can do that role and even I'm sure if you, you start to look them below the top sides in the Premier League they all have those type of players I don't see one in this Norwich midfield mix at the minute um, and they need to source somebody because um, you know, you're know you not going to get the best out of Gilmore I don't think Rupp and, and Lisa Lua are going to be the answer I don't think McLean is necessarily the answer in that area um, and all of that unfortunately and again Reference the second goal Liverpool scored today leaves your centre backs particularly very vulnerable, and uh, it's asking too much for the the back four and crawl every week to sort of repel these invaders coming from midfield because the quality that is in every Premier League team they will be tested, and uh, you know Farker and Weber don't usually miss a trick in these matters, and I'm sure that they know it's almost imperative now that between now and the end of August they address that position and. You know, I'll be I'll be taking a keen eye on Tottenham's team sheet when that drops on Sunday uh, against Man City because um, if I see O skip in the eleven, then I think you can probably close the door on that. Yeah, and as we've said before, if he's available, it doesn't mean Norwich walk into that situation, does it? There's going to be a huge amount of interest in Oli Skip if he's available, and there's there's been talk of Germany as well, haven't there? That that clubs in Germany, I think, Sessegnon went and had a good season at Hoffenheim, I think, was it last season? So I, I dare say he'd get in a, a good German team, and he has kind of become a trend, isn't it? You look at Jude mm. Bellingham, what he's doing at uh, at, but, um, at Dortmund since he's left, and that just came into my head. I saw a story the other day that. Uh, Jude Bellingham's younger brother has just come into the Birmingham team, isn't he? And he's supposed to be hot stuff as well. So uh, everyone laughed at Birmingham when they retired his jersey, didn't they? <laughs> it's starting to look like uh, we we were all missing a trick there, really, because uh, yeah, he, he's looking like he's going to be a great player. But anyway, I digress. I think that's um, that is the debrief in full. Thank you very much, boys. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Um, we will, of course, bring you all that build-up to the Manchester City game. It's going to be a, a real tough ask for Norwich, but they've got nothing to lose, really. So, who knows? They've done it once before. Does lightning strike twice? Probably not. But they've done it twice before. Johnny House and the slaloming run, yeah. and that was at the Etihad. They were on the Sl- beach, they weren't they? Well, you say that, Dave. I'll I'll say twelfth place finish after didn't, that result. Didn't Jack Robwell play for Man City? I think Joe Hart was in goal. So that's all you they need to know. Then, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's a win's a win. That's what it says in the record books. Norwich <laughs> yeah. three, Man City two, or two three as it was. So uh, yeah, Norwich played very well that day. They weren't playing like they weren't playing drilling reserves, were they? <laughs> so, uh, they were still up against a good side. But um, anyway, yes, it it will still be very interesting. We'll still be looking for all the little clues about what is to come in the in the months ahead but as I said earlier I think maybe maybe that Bournemouth game a few days later might actually tell us a bit more about where we're going so uh, it, it might be one where you just need to put your seatbelt on and make sure it's uh, 
tightened, fastened, shall we say. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, this is the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. We come to you in association with Future Radio 107.8 FM. Uh, do check out Pinkin.com for all the latest Norwich City news and views. If you're not already subscribed to the show, then please do. And if you're not already subscribed to the Pinkin YouTube channel, then that's very much worth checking out as well because we've got regular video content. We're trying to improve that all the time, make sure it's up to Premier League standard. But for now, thank you very much for listening and we'll catch up with you very soon.